everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not writing about endurance and training and sports nutrition and all that fun stuff, I'm either talking about it or hopefully outside doing some of those things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you're here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. So... This weekend, we actually spent indoors doing things. We had the Shred Girls launch party at the Joyride 150 Bike Park in Markham, Ontario. So anyone listening who was there, uh, thank you so much for coming. There were so many girls and women at the park to celebrate the book launch. I I was just beside myself all day. Yep. Yep. There's some congratulations to you, I think. I think very, Aww. I said, inspiring in my Instagram post, I guess, but... It was it was just really cool seeing so many young girls shredding around, making new friends. Um, a lot of the real life shred girls from the website showed up, and you know, both met each other, and then also helped some younger girls sort of get comfortable on the pump track and you know figure out the jump lines and stuff. And it was just yeah, such an inspiring day seeing that many women and girls. Um, think there were some some young boys who maybe even uh, groused a little bit that there were too many girls in the bike park and that's that's what I like hearing equally though there were a lot of young boys who seemed really psyched on it and were making friends with the girls and not just because I think it scored them some free snacks yep no we had some some who just came with their moms or with their sisters or whatever too so yeah, I think it was really, really positive, really cool day. Um, and thank you to Joyride 150 Bike Park and Markham for hosting, as always. They're very gracious, always. So if you can ever get to the bike park in Toronto, or it's in Markham, but uh, you know if you fly in or you're coming through Toronto for some reason, definitely worth checking out. And there's a lot of people in the GTA that have not checked it out. So we got a few in, but please do go check it out. I think what's cool about it is you might not think that, you know, a bike park is for you if you're a, you know, road racer or a cyclocross racer or even a mountain biker, but there are so many skills that you can practice in there that are just so applicable to all types of riding. And I mean, yes, even on the road, because you know what, if you can comfortably jump or navigate a skinny or something, you are so much less likely to end up flipping over a curb in a race if somebody clips you. Yeah, we have a question about bunny hopping today. Um, And definitely that's something, you know, on the road, if you can't get that front wheel up, um, you know, you're doing the two wheels together, then a lot of times that means plowing your front wheel into something uh, when it comes to sort of that emergency jump. So yeah, there's definitely been, I've seen a few road clients actually have dodged, you know, up onto curbs or something last minute or, you know, over someone or over a bike. So yeah, skills, cornering, braking, all, all applies to the road. Yes. It's been a pretty big 10 days for us. I mean, so this past weekend was the joyride launch party. The book came out last week. So if anyone hasn't gotten a copy yet, who wants to, um, I'm having, it's available wherever books are sold. Real book, real book, published book. (laughs) Yeah. To to answer everyone's question, it is out with a publisher. You can find it in Barnes and Noble. I'm actually getting pictures sent in to me of it, you know, on the shelf in Barnes and Noble. And it's the coolest thing. But all the Amazons and everything else. Yeah. Um, So that was all happening. But we also both had our first races of the season last weekend. And we didn't really talk about that at all. But I feel like we should because anyone who's listened to this podcast for the last few months knows that I was gearing up pretty hard for this 50K trail run at Bear Mountain in New York. And 
pretty excited about it and very nervous because so did your knee break my knee did not break oh my goodness awesome yeah it was one of those uh it was funny the whole race i spent every once in a while i'd like start thinking does my knee hurt and then i'd be like stop thinking about if your knee hurts or not Mm. (laughs) because i was terrified if i thought about it it was going to start happening so anytime i caught myself thinking about it i was like think about anything else um but good tactic thankfully distracting yourself the course was so technical that you didn't have a choice but to focus entirely on the course i think the one thing i learned from this race is whenever your friends tell you that a race is very technical and very rocky you should probably believe your friends really i don't think i have ever taken that advice no well that was the problem right normally i'm used to hearing oh it's technical and you're like sure it's technical no this course was technical Right. It was the most bananas course I have ever been on. And thankfully, I had the advice of like, watch out for your ankles, because I had that in mind as soon as we hit, you know, the first rocky section about 500 meters in, suddenly your foot's disappearing between rocks. And I had to start thinking, watch my ankles, watch my ankles. And I had a couple close calls. Hmm. But yeah, made it through. Um, got second overall in the women's category and finished I think 26th overall like in the race which I was really really excited about it was you know kind of an unexpectedly good result for me I was just going and trying to get through and sort of see where I was and see how my knee had healed up and yeah all systems were go it's good another one in the bank yeah yeah Yeah, now I just gotta figure out the next one so that's that's on my, my radar to find another race to do but Honestly, um, so our coach or my coach, David Roche, who's been on the podcast, he's on maybe six weeks ago at this point. Uh, definitely worth listening to if you haven't. Um, he told me right before the race that, you know, to remember that the race is really just a celebration of your training. And I think that's something that both of us really have already subscribed to as far as, you know, we really kind of race to train versus training to race. Um, so it was, you know, I'm excited, even though I don't have a, another race on the calendar definitively until August, I'm still so excited to be back to training. Yeah. So what about you? First race of the season. How I, was it? I have a lot in the bank. It's not really that exciting. It was another day at the office, I guess. So, yep. No, it was good. Form was really good. I was able to start with the... Two Desera brothers were there and they're, you know, racing on World Cups and young and excited and stuff. So you're old and jaded. Yeah. So to be able to go, you know, off the, the line and go with them up the, the first climb and sort of be there for a little a couple minutes is good. And then I, I ended up fourth and sort of was in the chase group and, and beat someone out for fourth. Uh, young lad got me for third. So, yeah, I mean, I was in the mix. It was fun. It was tactical. Kept it upright. Um, yeah. So it was really good. Good to see everyone and clients all did really well, which is always sort of the more stressful thing for me is just that everyone else, especially at these first races, right? Just getting that momentum early into the season. Yeah, definitely. It's it's tough because, I mean, for all we've talked about, you know, race results not really mattering and not fixing too much, you know, not hanging too much on any one result. The first race definitely does unfortunately set a bit of a tone for the season you know if you have a bad race it's sort of hard to kind of mentally reset from that when it's the first one of the season yeah it's tough right it's it's there's gonna be ups and downs and there's like randomness in there and especially for people who are working and 
yeah for sure know, have kids and stuff it's there's a lot of randomness in there and, yeah. and just outside just not even random but external uh influences yeah the first race of the season doesn't really care if you had a report due to your boss the day before right mm-hmm mm-hmm um, so that actually kind of goes really neatly into our first question, which is all about imposter syndrome. How do you break it? Um, and this particular question is kind of more of that during the race um, feelings of imposter syndrome. And I think that can be really insidious because, you know, you're having a good race, whatever, and then somebody say like blows by you and instantly you start wondering like should i go with them should i even be up here why am i up here what's it all mean um i i will say i had this personal experience uh, this is actually like not a question that i wrote in but i definitely felt this during my race because for the first like two miles i was like in the lead group and i was the first woman and you know a couple miles in i'm i'm still feeling okay but the woman who eventually won just came right by me and just kept going up this hill. And, you know, I had the moment of like, do I go with her? Like I, you know, opted not to and just stayed at my own pace and raced my own race. But it definitely started bringing up all of these feelings of like, oh my gosh, am I going out too hard? Am I supposed to be up here? Should I be up here? Should I drop back? What do I do? Is someone else going to pass me? And it was, it was like really kind of mentally challenging to be like, you know, slap yourself and be like, get back in the game. Like, it doesn't really matter that someone else is up the road ahead of you. Like you're still in it and still running. Yeah. So I will say before you dive in with your take on this, um, everyone listening who has this imposter syndrome issue should go back and listen to a couple of our podcasts with sports psychologists. We have a couple with Simon Marshall, the author of The Brave Athlete. We have Danelle Kabush talking about a bunch of stuff around this, Tracy Stannard talking about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we've ever expressly talked imposter syndrome in any of those. I think the Brave Athlete, we definitely did. Oh, that's, Because they talk yeah. about, um, they have, they, they talk about the imposter thing and, you know, not belonging or feeling like you belong, but they also talk about, um, what does she have, an alter ego. Yeah, creating the race day persona. Yeah, which is sort of a, a variation on the fake it till you make it, but sort of mm-hmm. you have your, like, tough alter ego, um, so that's that's I know has a few clients have really identified with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the podcast, I'm <laughs> I think I suggested to Simon I was not as into it, but whereas I was like I love this yeah. because yeah. for me as like a writer who loves description, creating an alter ego is just the coolest thing. Yeah, I think there's there's you know I always try and just act relaxed, but like a lot of times I am a little nervous and stuff, and my my tendency is to just look even grumpier than I usually look. Um, but, but I mean, even you just said like, oh, I was up with the Deseras and like, yeah, it, it's kind of a crazy thing to be up there. And I think no that's... offense, but at your age and like with their training and where they are right sure. now. Yeah. And I mean, if someone told me before the race that they thought I was 40 and that I, I should be racing master and I was like, I am the provincial champion. I'm not sure where, where do you want me to be? Like, I'm not saying I'm the world champion. I am the provincial champion of the world, but you know. I was like, I, I'm not sure why I need to be racing. It, if whoever said that is listening to this, just remember, words can really hurt. Yeah, I was, I was like, how bad do I look here? Um, so anyhow, I think everyone, like if you look in any, you know, you can listen to any podcast these days where it's sort of high performers doing stuff. And there's a fairly common theme of feeling like you don't belong or you don't have the skills or you're underqualified. 
um, being unsure. Like, I think that's sort of the existential dilemma of man, right? Is, is we're here alone and what's the purpose of it all? Nietzsche would say, I, I don't actually know. But. Yeah. We always get good bonus points when we mention like existential dilemma of man. Or, yeah. What was the other thing we were talking about? Um, like 1984 stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is that? Now I'm blank. I'm going to lose all my bonus points now because I've like lost all my cred in the 1984 scene. Anyhow, um, it'll come to me. But we all sort of feel it. So it's normal. And sometimes just knowing that those feelings are normal and that when there's a group of people you're racing and some are faster and some are slower, this is a this is a race. This is a competition. There should be someone faster and someone there's always going to be someone faster and someone slower. If there wasn't, why are you doing it? Yeah. And I think. A lot of clients, like we have very explicit discussions about someone is going to pass you and you can pass them back and that's racing. And if that's not happening, then you're not really racing. Like you're sort of just riding alone or, mm-hmm. or running alone, right? Like you're there to race. And the idea is that there's going to be passing. That mm-hmm. is exciting racing. Like I wouldn't race if it was just me in the forest alone. Like it sort of used to be like it was so long. There'd be like minutes between anyone. And you were just hoping that you would pace and eventually catch someone, but they'd be so on such a different pace, you'd just keep going. So you'd never ride. Whereas like this last race, I rode the entire race with someone like inches away from their wheel and we were back and forth. Actually, the the one guy who was with me just sort of sat on me the whole race, but a lot of the race, there was other people around too. Okay. So comedically flip side, I actually dislike that kind of racing and really prefer the alone in the forest and maybe you see a person every few minutes and hey you know what like that's that's the kind of racing that works for me well and i should back up like endurance racing like a 100 miler like is definitely like your own journey um and i do think all these races are your own journey and so the important thing is that like the passing is going to happen even in the endurance race someone's going to be on a different pace and go by you or vice versa And it definitely feels nicer being the person going by the person. But you need to remember that them going by you on their pace doesn't mean that your pace should get exponentially worse instantly when they go by you. Mm -hmm. Like if you were 1% slower and they gradually caught you, there's no reason that suddenly you're 10% worse because they went by you. But that's what you can watch it happen in a race. If you sit on a big hard climb, you'll see someone get past and they bonk or blow or yeah cramp instantly and so it's trying to come to terms with that is very difficult yeah and i mean i think maybe what i'm getting at is like if you know racing in a pack and having these passes and stuff happening this person particularly mentioned like criterium racing part of that race i mean that's going to be part of that racing but like if that's such a stressor to you and you really just don't enjoy that and it feels mm. really uncomfortable, like, hey, you know Crit what? There are, crazy. So, yeah. there are so many other types of bike racing you could do that wouldn't have that exact same thing. Yep. Like there's a lot of other options. So, you know, maybe that's just a stress that you don't really want to put on yourself and you would actually excel in, you know, a more endurancey event. Sure. Like that's, you know, certainly what I've found. Yeah, I mean, at a far extreme, right? Like, uh, long course triathlon or in this like cycling specific, I guess would be time trial, right? Yeah. Like you could completely remove everyone except for you and the clock. Right. And it's very, I like it coaching time trial and similar events because it's very mathematical and controllable. I don't have to worry about tactics. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't go in the sprint at the right time in a road race, you could be the fittest person you still lose. Right. Yeah. So to me, I think there is a chance that imposter syndrome is telling you that like, 
maybe this isn't who you are. Like there's, mm. you know, I'm not saying that that is the case for this person, but I mean, that's why I stopped racing crits this season. I yeah. raced on the road last year and I, you know, could stay in the pack, but I didn't enjoy it and didn't feel like I should have been up there. So, well, and so some of it then is, you know, we could maybe categorize this as nerves, right? And, and I think a lot of those nerves of feeling like, oh, you know, everyone here looks really prepared and serious about this. And I don't. Sometimes it's because we didn't prepare as well as we could have. And there could be life. Like I say, everyone's mm-hmm. got, you know, we have our kids or we don't have kids, but people have kids and uh, jobs and so forth. So sometimes you can't prepare perfectly. But that feeling then is a good indication that there's something you're nervous about mm-hmm. that then maybe you can prepare for. Right. And that might be like a mountain biking example is classic. Like people just don't mountain bike very often. It's one of the things I always try and keep track with my clients is, how often are they mountain biking and how much are they climbing like elevation gain? It's often very low, right? Cause we don't all live in the mountains. We don't all live right on a mountain bike trail, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we're busy. So some of those things, like it might be a redistribution, like fewer hours and more mountain biking, just so you can get to mountain bike trails as an example. Right. right? And then hopefully you feel more prepared as a mountain biker. Yeah. I think the, the last thing I would say for crits specifically is I remember like the best advice I ever got when I first started racing bikes was, you know, when the group is going, you give it everything to stay with them. So even if you feel like an imposter in the moment when, you know, a few people blow by you, if the group is splitting and, you know, you don't want to get like dropped off the back, like you don't want to drop out of the race, like forget the imposter syndrome, bury yourself to stay on that wheel. Like that's very specific to crit racing because the pack matters and being in the draft matters hugely. But like sometimes you got to just like kind of mentally tell yourself to tamp it down and you can come back to those feelings later. But right now you have to just give it that few hard pedal strokes. And I think, you know, this example was not like an elite, like it's not cat one or whatever, right? Um, Or pro I should say the so i think the other thing is like what are some examples sometimes i I always come back to the the myth of stress book which is a great book um i'll try and remember to put that in the show notes but myth of stress i think it's like bernstein is the author and their their concept is basically when you have a stress about something so we're stressed that we don't belong in this thing we're an imposter what are some so i should not be racing in this race i don't belong so then you could flip it around and say i should be racing in this race and then when you say that, okay, like what are some example or some, some proof? Like, why should you be racing in this race? Like if I was saying, no, you definitely shouldn't. And you are an imposter. Well, like what examples would you give me to argue against me that indeed you do belong? Right. So I think Peter loves this one because he's so argumentative. I like to argue both sides. So in this case, you know, the athlete, you know, has raced in this category for years and has placed at least mid pack. Right. So <laughs> that's the definition I think of belonging. Right. Um, and had some great results in there and that they've trained, they've gone to a training camp, you know, they probably are, you know, on the high end of what a cat three racer could do. Right. So I think the great thing is, you know, sometimes we just forget that we actually are qualified and there might be more qualified. There might be faster. And again, that's fine. That's why we're there. Yeah. We, we don't really get up to those levels. Well, you might. And that's, you know, catting up is often a goal. And then that's when... Well, you just can't get to the levels without those people in the race. Right. And I think the fake it till you make it, we'll round this up, I think now, but the, the fake it till you make it then is if you do want to cat up, you want to become a cat two or the next level, an expert, then that's where you have to start 
what is the preparation that would make you say, I should be a cat too. Like you convinced me that you should be a cat too by showing consistency and training hours, wattage goals, you know, and then these are looking like process goals, practice goals, right? That you can control. And then when you show up on the line and your brain is saying you suck and you don't belong here, you can say, no, you know, I, sh I probably should be because I'm training lots and I have a bike that's prepared and this is not professional racing. So really I have a license that says I should be here. Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, the last thing is just the imposter syndrome is kind of a thing that's here to stay because I think on the flip side, if you win the race, there's still probably the imposter syndrome that's going to come up and be like, well, I think, yeah, it, you see that with like have, world champions doubt it, right? It must have been, you know, a lucky day or the field was watered down or, you know, X, Y, Z number of things that are, you know, the reason that I managed to like unfairly win this race or, you know, just kind of happenstance win this race. So it's, it's not going to be just, you know you in the race mid pack and once you start winning suddenly imposter syndrome goes away i think it's just always going to be a factor um so kind of mentally girding your loins against it and right being as prepared okay. as possible okay what's next next up okay um kind of the more practical side of things now that we're into racing season i have no idea what i should be doing between races to maintain fitness so this person is racing roughly every 2 weeks um, just based on the series that he's doing. Mm. So thinking, you know, racing one time a weekend, every two weeks, 90 minute race ish. How do you, how do you deal with the weeks between? Yeah, it's a tricky thing. It, it's odd this year. I've had, it's, it's so funny how things come in waves, um, like questions that just have never come up. I've been coaching for how many years? Almost, almost 20, I guess. And it's just you've never heard the question before and then things come up, right? So this year, and I think it's because of like the smart trainers and that becoming more common too, but I'll get I'll get in the same day a question that's like, hey, do you do coaching for off season like on the trainer? And I'll be like, uh, yeah, like because most of my clients are like, I'm pretty insistent year round because I want to work with people long term for coaching. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Like definitely we use the, you know, the trainers and there's all this, you know, especially with technology now and it's very controllable and, you know, we'll put some cross training in there. Great. And then you'll get the same day. I'll get a question. It's like, Hey, do you do like coaching for outside, like during the season? And I'm like, well, what was cycling coach? <laughs> Isn't that what we're, it's the sport. So it's just, we all have different perspectives and we're coming at this thing from different angles. Right. So we're, we're dealing more with this latter question of like in the season, you know, isn't it just pretty automatic? You just go for the group ride and then out for the, the race on the weekend. And isn't that training? And for some people that's great, right? And again, we're busy. You go for the group ride or two, you know, maybe a group ride, a little weekly race, and then maybe you race or do a big ride on the weekend. And for some people that's a fantastic routine. And, you know, especially when you're starting out sort of beginner novice, you're going to keep getting faster, really, right? You're just going to keep learning and riding more and, you know, you'll be fine. So in terms of like periodization of season, you know, you've got your base phase, all that kind of stuff. During the season when you're racing every two weeks, what would you do as far as, you know, strength training, core work, intensity? Like where does all of that? Well, again, of... like all of these things, it's just always like the depends, right? So it's who are we talking about and what do they want to do? So let's, again, assume they're just, they want to be at the races and they're, you know, beginner, intermediate, you know, early intermediate, and they're doing fine. So if they're happy, the goal, the point B, 
being achieved. They're going to the race. They're placing. They're in there mixing it up. Great. You know, whatever they're doing is fine. Now, when it's not fine and they want to cat up or they want to beat their friends or, you know, they're feeling really poor at the race, then now we have a point B to correct to, right? And we can go back to that that point A as well and sort of where are we at. So I, I like to keep, again, for your busy, active masters, definitely some core work. In, in general, the traditional thing is you don't do a ton of strength in the, the during season, but there's some people that do keep it in and just sort of maintain it. Um, with races on the weekend, the tricky thing when you're racing a lot and you have a lot of group rides and or weekly races during the week is there's just not a lot of time for other stuff. So what you'll usually see is as you get more intermediate and advanced, you don't see those athletes at those group rides and at those weekly races in general that often because they want to train specifically for them and their goals during the week after they've recovered from a race. Um, I know as I've gotten older and things have gotten busier, I try and not race that much and certainly don't hit like hard group rides would be very rare. Uh, just because it takes away from the training that I know will make me faster. Um, what about the weekends where you're not racing? Those weekends then, it, it, in season, like the tricky thing is trying to maintain your fitness, which you know generally means some sort of longer you know, and or harder dose of training, right? So a higher training stress score, you could say it that way too. Um, so the, the weekends I'm not racing then in a, the race season, so we're talking, you know, late spring into the summer then maybe i'd be doing something specific as far as like simulating and i use that in quotes but you know something mountain biking you know something with hills something you know maybe working on a limitation i have in that race i always talk about critical moments in a race so for me the start is always like that first lap so it might just be like the one i've been doing a lot right now is like a four by ten and just really working on that like full gas effort um, I also do a lot of like three minute, so just VO2 intervals type thing. Again, working on that critical moment where like you're at the, on, you know, up at going up a hill and like really want to quit and it's like really unbearable pace. And I think prepping for that, whatever the A race is, I mean, you've got, I'd mm -hmm. say for your clients specifically, you have quite a few that would race a bunch of local stuff throughout the summer, but then are doing Leadville as like their, mm. you know, big race or something like that. So the weekends they're not racing, that would be a much more like Leadville simulation type things. Well, and then I think like that, like when you're preparing for those massive adventures, right? I prefer not to actually see that much racing um, because the like, sort of, as you alluded to earlier, like the racing isn't really, it's not that intense. There isn't that much to be gained aside from like the gameplay of like waking up in the morning and getting through the start safely you know avoiding getting you know the things we talked about about getting really sad because someone passed you um, or overpacing because you can pass everyone because they're pacing and you're not pacing so you you know do the first hour of leadville way too hard and then the the next nine hours are really really hard um so things like that need to be worked on but a lot of that stuff can be worked on just by training. And, and the tricky thing with races is, so if I raced, I raced on Sunday at the or provincial race. And so that's one day out of say Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that is really training, right? Everything else is recovery, maybe a pre-ride. And then Monday, you probably lose at least probably for most people, it's Monday, Tuesday or lighter 
if you race on Sunday. So the dilemma with racing a lot is by the time you've recovered and tapered down for that next race, you maybe, maybe have a Wednesday, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the tricky thing about the frequency of the races. Um, So it really depends what you're limited by. You know, if you're just learning how to race and stuff, then more racing can be good. Um, But if you have like one big race that doesn't necessarily benefit, then if that's not your limiter, right? If there's not something around race nerves or tactics. And I think maybe the other thing that's worth mentioning is uh, between races, the one big thing you should be doing if you race with any kind of gear, whether it's you're a runner who runs with a hydration pack or you're a mountain biker who rides a mountain bike or whatever, uh, that weekly bike maintenance, the bike maintenance kind of right after the race is super important if you plan on, you know, racing a lot over the season because your bike gets beat up every weekend yep yep that's definitely especially in like cyclocross is always the big thing with the two races on the weekend and then you know maintenance it's it's crusher um i you know it's really really hard and so cyclocross is always the battle too and i think we've talked about the cyclocross frequency a bit but yeah that frequency of racing is just really really tough like if you can avoid it and try and get out and train a few weekends like you'll generally find like i think you know at least that every other weekend type thing or you like you have a block of two or three races and then maybe a month even where you can train because the thing is if you can train then you can sort of get more you can get recovered feel good and then you can sort of build your fitness back up and then have a block of races right and so sometimes thinking about even your season in blocks maybe like may's always like all the new early races may's really hectic maybe take June and, you know, recover and train and then hit a July, you know, a couple, you know, summers here races. And then August is maybe, you know, a bit of base, you know, rebuilding, getting ready and then cyclocross maybe in September, right? You could do really nice job if you think about phases and you mentioned periodization, I think too. Um, and just trying to think about like, what is the goal and then what is feeding into that goal, right? Are you able to prepare so that you're not nervous on the line and thinking you're an imposter? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there are also ways of being at the race. If like part of why you like going to the races is your community and everything, Mm -hmm. there are plenty of ways to go to the race and not actually race, whether it's your volunteering for the day, which might even score you free entry for the next one, or you, you know, do a bike ride there. So you get kind of a bunch of base miles in that way. Uh, So just thinking kind of laterally about, okay, maybe I don't need to do every single race in the series. Maybe I can do you know, a couple less, but still get to them if being at the race is the the fun part for you. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we've answered that well enough? I'm just trying to think I think here. so. And actually, this ties very oh, neatly. What should I be doing? Yeah, and I think, so just to, I, I mentioned, so on the Saturday I'd do, if I wasn't racing, so during the season they asked sort of what they do. The tricky thing is finding like that intensity to practice that critical moment, so like say midweek intensity, And then if you're not racing on the weekend, then you'd usually do like a specific intensity. So mountain biking hills was my example, but that could be like crits or whatever your thing is. And then usually you do some endurance the day after to try and just give yourself a bit of a endurance sort of uh, maintenance type workout. If you want to think of it that way, just to, because you get a chance, right? Because usually that race eliminates that chance. And then again, we're getting hopefully racing well, but we're, gradually losing fitness if we're doing our race season Mm -hmm. well right so that's the tricky thing with race season is you're using all the hay using all the hay in the barn right it's 
So this is why I really like this next question. I think it ties in really, really well. So the next question is about just the preponderance of articles coming out lately that are, you know, articles or personal posts or whatever that are what athletes are doing. So what professional athletes are doing for their training or for their nutrition. Um, you know, it's a really popular thing to have in magazines, you know, diary of a racer, you know, what a sure. racer eats in a day, all that kind of stuff. So the question is just how much of that should I be, you know, thinking about and using in my own practice? And I think this is a really good illustration of this point and how a, what a professional does might not play into what's going to work in your life. Um, you know, a lot of pros between races during the week are doing very, very little because their hay is already in the barn. They've spent 30 hour weeks, you know, December, January, February, March, getting ready for the season. They've been doing this for years. They have such a huge buildup of fitness that between races, a lot of the time they can, they have to take it really easy in a way that you know, might not be the best thing for your more average, you know, nine to five worker who really thrives on getting in workouts during the week and isn't at that peak fitness. Yeah, there's a lot of information, right? It's very tough, very tough to know for sure. And not, I'm not get distracted, right? I think I always come back just to that point A, point B. And are, is it is it being achieved? If not, then what can you like tweak? Because probably you're close, you're in the ballpark, what do you need to sort of tweak, right? And it's likely not some massive transformation change. It's probably super boring. It's like, oh, I'm instead of do, trying to do my intensity every Tuesday after the race, I'm going to, you know, do a little bit of high RPM work, you know, stay on the road, don't go on my mountain bike Monday or Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I'm going to like, oh, Wednesday workout goes really, really well, right? And then I'm ready for the race or the whatever coming on Saturday, Sunday, or, or just another workout, right? And so I think... The tweak sometimes isn't drastic. It's like, oh, you know, I could probably just not only eat Cheerios all week. I love Cheerios. You know, maybe I could spice that up. You know, maybe I have like some oatmeal with berries and some nuts and stuff, right? And I'm going to have a little bit more nutrients in my diet. And oh, I feel a little bit more energetic through the day. Maybe the calories even ended up coming down because I'm not housing a whole box of Cheerios. You know, not a drastic change. It's not super diet we can advertise on tv the like lower amount of cheerios diet mm. but i i'm on board with that diet but i think you, you just want to look like what how is my how is everything going right now right and if you're going okay and you have a plan like just follow your plan i think is the the the, the idea right like don't don't just jump ship because like one race wasn't quite perfect like well not like even your race one... like even your race wasn't perfect it went great it was to plan i think but there's you know things to tweak and information now that you have on the table like even just where did the first place person get away this is information now or in the future that can be used right yeah and like i think kind of coming back to the actual question though like just because someone else is doing something and saying that they're having success at it that doesn't mean that that is going to be the plan for you mm. and i think whenever you're reading a pro training diary or nutrition log or whatever just remember like they're paid to do this yeah that is their nine to five job for the most part they have you know a lot of other people telling them what to do or tweaking their stuff and you know individualizing their plan so what works for them might not work for you 
Um, and, you know, further to the point, there's like having having written a ton of these articles, I can very easily say that I've interviewed people who, you know, six months later, I've re-interviewed them about the same kind of thing, and they've had a completely different answer. You know, the number of times that, you know, a couple of the athletes I've interviewed have changed their diets drastically within a two-year period, but when you interview them, that is their diet. This is like what they've found to be gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you ask them, they are convinced that that is the right diet for them. And five months later, it might be something totally different. So, you know, don't assume that what they're doing is what they're going to be doing in a few months and what's working for them or what made them fast. Right. Well, and I think that's the what made them fast is the like we're forgetting the point A and point B. So like we're all just, you know, regular humans here going about our business. And, and so a lot of things actually would benefit us that are just pretty again, boring and common sense, you know, you know, getting out riding consistently using some sort of, you know, having some power maybe where you can, you know, keep your endurance rides nice and steady. And then whatever type of intervals you believe in doing a good job on those and doing them, you know, repeatedly for a series of time. We talked about our blocks with the racing, like a lot of us, if we just put in a focus three week block with like two or three interval sessions and a bit of endurance, you know, tried to sleep, tried to not eat too many Cheerios, we'd be pretty good shape, right? Eat Cheerios on the right time, you know, right before those big, the big race or whatever. I don't know why we're sponsored by Cheerios, but apparently. Yeah, seriously, (laughs) Cheerios, hit us up. Apparently we are today. Um, I did have a point with that though. Um, They're point A. So the the pro though, they're looking for that fraction of a percent. And that's what you're reading about is that fraction of a percent. Like when I wrote Fuel Your Ride, all of the pros, you know, they might've had like different diets as far as you know one ate gluten and one didn't that kind of thing but it all came back to like they pretty much all ate real food mostly whole foods lots of vegetables they fueled the rides adequately that was pretty much it same with like their training right they might have a different interval set that they do but pretty much all of them do some intensity do some endurance do some resting (laughs) do some core work and i think the scary thing is missing i would say like the 10 percent gain to try and find the like one percent or 0.1 percent gain right so and the 0.1 percent is the sexy thing that's fun to write about and talk about but it's not at all the whole story no right like i I, this just comes to mind this client listens sometimes but they recently it was like there was intervals on the thing and they were pretty hard and it was on the trainer because our spring's been horrible but then the client thought that they do like heat adaptation, so not use their fan. But then the problem is the intervals aren't good. So the heat adaptation is like we're hoping that this is going to sort of work. But that's not really the case, right? Like the intervals for sure would work, like almost for sure. You know, there's a huge amount of benefit that we had there. So you just don't want to give up like the common practices that we know will work. Like cooling yourself while you're doing intervals to make the power higher right we don't want to give that up right Mm -hmm. or you know trying to go the classic is like the crazy diet that then greatly affects your capacity to train in hopes that you know we're going to improve something but forgetting that we could just train more consistently more higher power you know better feeling happier you know, yeah. better sleep or sleep doesn't get disturbed, but we're all we're like, we're fighting for this like random 1% when we all have like all these percents we could just get by 
being boring and consistent. Well, and a 1% that we don't even know works for us. Right. We don't even know that that's going to be a 1% that we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, it's something that's come up with a couple of the training camps I've done because, you know, it's a lot of younger riders and, you know, they're looking up to a lot of people and reading articles about them and seeing, you know, like, oh, this is what this person eats in a day. Like, you know, when we were doing the ENCX quest, it was a really interesting thing talking about here's, you know, what we would normally eat in the day and, you know, watching the girls just then emulate it, like almost to like bite for bite was honestly a little bit like terrifying because you realize that's, you know, (laughs) people are actually taking what you do as the right thing to do. Right. Um, So I think, I think, yeah, just you have to figure out what works for you and, also, there's there's a matter of let's just be honest. A lot of pros are sponsored by whether it's a trainer company or a specific food sponsor and stuff like that, and that's gonna bleed into whatever they're writing in their diaries that are you know they're putting out or getting published, and that's not a bad thing, but it's just something to keep in your head when you're thinking about this. That yeah yeah, and I think the thing I do sometimes is like just sort of think through like is there a mechanism for this. And then also just the point A, point B thing, like coming back to that. But when I say mechanism, like, is there a way that this would would work in theory? And then, you know, has this been shown, you know, replicated? And, and to do that, you can go and look up like position stands. So like the American College of Sports Medicine or like any of the big i'm trying to think of the like the issn does a nutrition stand or position stand on sports nutrition and so these are like all the experts in every of the every field like sort of like coming to terms with like what can we say works right and so it's things like yeah for sure like carbohydrate has been shown to increase performance and a lot of them are fairly cutting edge even like there's stuff about you know fasted training and and all these like popular things right now but if, if you're curious to like what is the actual like thing from people who have looked at this their entire lives in research, then I would just like a lot of those things are just free to read. You can look them up, right? So something again, ISSN position stand. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say on this is if you kind of fall into this trap, the, the fact of the matter is you're going to keep falling into the trap of like going with like the next thing that you read, you know, the next thing that a pro does. I know I read born to run and did some really dumbass running things because of what some of the people in there did and then you know read another book and did some other dumbass things that those people did um i'm highly susceptible to a well-crafted essay about what someone does for training Hmm. Um, put a training montage on the tv and i'm i'm lost i might actually join a boxing gym now that i just watched this last episode of riverdale so you got to know yourself and know, you know, how easily you're you're swayed by stuff and just, yeah, take everything with a, a grain of salt. Yeah, I think, you know, you're your own experiment and just keep track of what you're doing. Don't do too much at once. Yeah. Um, All right. Last, last, last one. Last one. Been having trouble figuring out bunny hops. Right. Help. And this is like a pretty important one. You know, it's not just fun to do in your backyard it's very useful during no it's everything it's one of one of the three things in cycling um what are the other two position and moving the bike side to side those feel a lot easier uh side to side is really hard for people actually um so it's all important and they're all somewhat related especially position 
but quick, I will definitely link to my five steps to bunny hopping, which will help. Um, I think and for, that's a video, so it's a lot easier to understand. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but the the five steps, and it's not that like the fifth step, which is the like massive log hop, massive bunny hop, massive barrier hop that everyone wants to do. It's not that that's better. You need to use all five. So like level one is just rolling over something smoothly and not having like super loud sounds or rims dinging. Um, so a few things. A, just follow that and sort of play around. Uh, hopefully there'll be some help there as far as getting the wheel off. I think finding a pump track or like going, you know, using like ditches, I always say, or sort of like a pump track where you can go down into something and just working on, you know, being smooth and maybe seeing how far can you get out of the ditch without pedaling. That's a huge thing in cyclocross. There are so many courses that have a ditch like that. I mean, that you can't pedal mountain in. biking um, on the road. There's like speed bumps would be another example just trying to roll over a speed bump really smoothly um eventually to like a small curb that's a little more abrupt and being careful i didn't tell you to roll your carbon tubulars over cement curbs but give that a try and then for the wheel lift um just working on that manual wheel lift and a great way to sort of play with that is in a grassy field take two sticks um, or two pylons, but two sticks are nice like that you can roll over without necessarily like jumping them. And you're going to use the first stick to lift your front wheel and the other stick to sort of mark your place for how far you can manual that, that wheel. And so what you're trying to do is sort of get your hips back um, and almost try and push the bike in front of you for your manual, right? So what that usually looks like is you're standing up nice and tall on the bike and then you sort of stomp down and try and like push your pedals or push your bottom bracket into the ground. And so you're going to do that and then sort of push the bike forward. And it, sometimes it's better to even think about pushing the bike forward. Um, so you're essentially going, you know, backwards, front wheels coming off the ground, and you're sort of just like lifting that front wheel and sort of surfing that rear wheel over the gap between the two sticks and then just keep making that gap small or sorry, larger and larger and larger. So you're sort mm -hmm. of manually and hopefully further and further and further. Um, that skill of getting that front wheel up and feeling smooth and consistent with that, that's a huge win then to then progress towards the steps and the, the bunny hop. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's where I was sorry. A pump track is going to be really good. And then just working on that front wheel left. Cause a lot of people, that's the limiters. They can't get that front wheel. They'll do the two wheels together, but they can't get that front wheel. Right. Up. Remember Rome was not built in a day. This is not a skill that you're going to no, master in an no, afternoon. I always say like, I, I was very fortunate in a lot of ways. Cause where I grew up and started mountain biking, like is just court, like high speed corners and like the biggest logs it's a county forest so it doesn't get maintained as well so there's massive logs constantly um like i did a two and a half hour ride yesterday and i probably bunny hopped over like massive logs i don't know hundreds of times like it's a really good workout um, but i'm very fortunate that i've been doing that now for you know 25 years 25 no i'm lying 20 at least <laughs> um so yeah anyhow you got to practice and just that's I guess that's the only other takeaway would be find a place where there's some logs for you to just do reps and mm -hmm. do the best you can, right? Yeah. So no, make sure you check the show notes for the link to yep. Peter's videos. Yep. Um, awesome. So I think we'll we'll wrap up there. And just a quick thing, Shred Girls, Lindsay's Joyride is available now wherever books are sold. And if you want to hear a little more from me um, talking about some Shred Girl stuff, some of, you know, my own cycling and 
sports history that I haven't really talked about on the podcast. I was over on CX Harris podcast. He's part of the Wide Angle Podium Network that we're part of. I jumped on there to kind of talk through my history in cyclocross and my history in writing books and all that. And it was a pretty fun episode. Even Peter enjoyed listening to it and he listens to me all the time. Uh, and I was on the Sonia Looney show. We had Sonia on the podcast and it was super rad having her on here. So she was kind enough to invite me on hers to kind of talk through again. Yeah. Where we've been and what I'm up to and all about shred girls and how we can get more girls on bikes, how we can make friends with other people in sport and tons of other topics. So yeah, check those both out. We'll link to them in the show notes. So thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week.